How's it going, listeners? This is your opinion writer here at the Arizona Daily Star, Edward Salaya. We're here on the Point Being podcast. Sarah's out for today. I'm joined by two of my favorite co-workers here. First, our cartoonist, Mr. David Fitzsimmons. David, how are you today? I'm pretty good. Hey, readers, write your names across my heart. <laughs> and, of course, we have our government reporter, Mr. Joe Ferguson. Joe, how are you? I'm well. That is good to hear. Good to hear. All right, so we're going to jump into a few local topics first today, starting first with our kind of analysis of the Prop 205 election and how uh, it, dumb it question, really Dumb question, down. dumb question, dumb question. Go ahead. Dumb question. How do props get their numbers? Joe, that's one for you. I, Why I is just... it like Prop 1? Well, you don't want to use the same number over and over again. You don't want to vote on Prop 101 over and over and over again. Uh, so they switch them up a little bit. So, so it's just really, it's kind of an arbitrary... I'm sure that there is a you know two pages of text somewhere at the city <laughs> level that explains in yeah. gross detail how to do it. But let's not put our listeners to sleep so early in the podcast. That's a good question, though. I don't know. So I think good. I got a column idea. <laughs> Prop 205, yes! Prop 205, if you uh, kind of are living under a rock or you're not a native Tucsonan, uh, it was up for election, or excuse me, up for passage uh, this last election, and uh, it went down in flames. Uh, what was it, about 70-30, right, Joe? Roughly, yeah. Um, now, we released a story last hmm. week kind of indicating it was a heat map of where uh, where it performed best and where it, it really went down most. Yeah. Uh, can you kind of explain what we found out of that, Joe? We found a small portion of Tucson, what our columnist Tim likes to call the... Uh, the streetcar corridor, yeah, right? Yeah, the streetcar corridor where it passed and everywhere else it failed by some amount. So it was a very small portion of Tucson that did 50% or better to back this sanctuary city initiative where it just failed everywhere else. Gotcha. Dave, what, Barrio Volvo? I think that's my Barrio old neighborhood. Volvo. <laughs> well, that's right. That's yes. my old head. So, so, Dave, what do you think it... I mean, I think we thought it was going to be fairly close, right? Me, Or if it was going to be go down, it wasn't going to be this, this big. Yeah. Um, I'm going to hope. I'm hoping that it is A... Uh, a segment of the population that agreed with our with our wisdom mm. that mm. yes, you know, it's well intentioned, but those unexpected consequences, coupled with no doubt the 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 knee jerk righties who just would not want to vote for anything that had a whiff of uh, compassion towards immigrants. So I think it's a blend of those two elements together. But I was a little bit taken aback at how the map pretty much mirrored our prophecies. Yeah. The one the one area in Tucson that really surprised me, though, was the South Tucson or the s southern part of Tucson, not South Tucson proper. Yeah. Um, I thought there might be a precinct or two in there that would uh, I mean, that's the Democratic that's the Democratic stronghold of, of the city. I thought for sure there'd be one or two precincts that went went for 205 there but, joe you're kind of you're kind of nodding your head no on well, that i'm one. just saying you know one out of three people actually turned up to submit a ballot Good so point. you know two-thirds of the people sat on their hands and decided not to vote so it's really hard to tell i mean we saw a strong republican turnout despite the fact there wasn't a republican torchbearer and you know fitz got a great analysis of it but i gotta tell you man they 
backed up Brinks trucks to this election and just spent money on all sorts of mediums to make sure that they gave out the most scariest version of the message they could on Prop 205. And that's definitely something that I've heard from the Tucson families, Free and, uh, Free and Together supporters. Uh, I believe it was, what was the name of the, the group behind it? The uh, People's Defense People's Initiative. People's Defense Initiative. Yeah. I, I was following a little bit of what they were saying on Facebook post-election. Uh, and they still are of the, uh, of the mind that they got a lot of their ideas out there and that the city actually needs to work with them in basically kind of implementing the things they were asking to implement through this process. How would they go about doing some of the things that they, they were hoping to do through the, the initiative now, now that it's failed? Well, they can make some changes to the general orders for Tucson police department where some of the core changes are, are there. So they don't have a lot of control over what border patrol is going to do, but they can, you know, really make sure that, TPD is doing what the supporters wanted, and those changes can be done fairly quietly and, you know, maybe, just maybe, stay off the radar of the Arizona legislature, which, you know, has already threatened to punish the city of Tucson if they ch change in, uh, a letter in, in, in the general orders. That's, that's true. You know, typically I'm the sort of the person who likes to bark, bring it on! But in this instance, no, no, don't, don't, don't bring it on. Yeah. That that would in this, especially in this case, I I think it just gets us more unintended consequences. Well, as much as I hate to, let's make sure our readers understand what those unintended consequences look like. It look like you know one third of the city's general fund. If the city had lost that money, and it's unclear whether it would, we were talking about an entire department shutting down. Your parks department would be one guy with you know a weed whacker, and that's about it. It really wouldn't be. You know, most city departments, it would be just fire and police, and that's about it. It would have gutted the ability for the city of Tucson to perform the most basic of services. I think then that we kind of dodged a bullet with 205, or at least that's kind of the perception of a lot of people, um, especially folks who campaigned against this. You talked about the Brinks truck being backed up to kind of – I think it was uh, almost a ten to one uh, margin of dollars spent. Is that is that pretty common for for a proposition, especially a local city one like that? We haven't seen it in this kind of way. So propositions generally are generally put out by the county or the city, and they propose it. And then there's a small group of people that come out and say, "Yeah, I support this." And then maybe there's an anti group, but. We don't see six figures being dumped into an initiative. And, you know, this time around, it really was a who's who of Tucson putting money in there. And, you know, even more so, there were people in Phoenix that were getting involved in this. So it was a really expensive uh, race. We're not even sure how much, but the last time I checked, it was 330000 And I got to imagine it's far more than that when we get those reports. Wow. I'm going to put forth a premise, and okay. I, I want your view of this. Surely. Uh, you know, my thought that uh, of the vote is this, that uh, Tucsonans voted against it, not because there's an overwhelming anti-immigrant sentiment in the community, but because uh, folks who were mostly, uh, Tucson being mostly a welcoming community, just felt that this uh, proposition would be self-destructive. 
to the to the ends of uh, of this community, which is to be a welcoming community. Mm-hmm. So I can't help but think, uh, no matter the outcome of that vote, that Tucson remains a welcoming community. If I kind of looked a little bit into the the history of propositions passing here, yeah. there other than the red light camera one, has there been a a citizen initiative that's passed since since then? And that was. Huh. Eight nine years ago, right? Well, there was the one. Yeah, I mean, there haven't been a lot of citizen initiatives lately that have passed. Obviously, mm-hmm. we see the give the city council a raise initiative that mm-hmm. pops up every two years mm-hmm. and then inevitably fails. But you know, citizen initiatives are not easy to put on the ballot. They require a lot of work, and so what we often see are things that are referred to the ballot by the council or the the Pima County Board of Supervisors. Got it. I think that that mm. fact in itself already kind of limits the appeal of what Prop 205 could be. Um, mm. So because if they already aren't able to get Democratic, usually fairly sympathetic uh, council members to even bring this up or to, to, to bring this as an initiative that way, then they're already, I mean, you're already kind of fighting against the powers that be. So I guess when I what I'm really saying is when I really look at this now, it's kind of inevitable that it probably wasn't going to get too too much support. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, such such is life. Such is. I did want to touch on one other thing uh, with the local elections. Um, I think that Ed Ackerley actually overperformed what we think what we thought he was going to to show up. I I didn't see him winning that many. Uh, precincts, even on the the east side, where the Republicans are a little stronger. Go ahead, Joe. I think you underestimated the guy. I mean, he used to be a Democrat as of January, and I think that you know, fifteen years doing elections. I got to tell you that you know, when you have two people essentially on the ballot. Sorry, Mike Cease. Um, we really mm. have people. Oh, wait, that, tell us who Mike Cease is. He's the Green Party candidate. Okay. But when you have, you know, two major candidates on the ballot, generally speaking, you know, it's pretty easy for the people to vote against the Democrat or the incumbent or the front runner and say, no, I can't back that person, him or her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's easy to get 25, 30 percent of the vote, you know, just naturally, just because people want when they have a choice, don't want to back person A or B. Yeah. I think Rahina's base of power is on the west side in downtown. And so. Traditionally, we've seen that Republicans, you know, there's a stronghold on the east side. I remind our, our listeners that, you know, Nikki Lee lost her ward in this election, um, you know, just because, you know, she won the election didn't mean she won her ward. Didn't didn't Paul Cunningham also lose his ward as well? No, Paul did it right. He got about 3,000 <laughs> uh, more votes than his uh, Republican contender, but uh, that, this is the first time. Two, uh, two, four years ago, he lost his ward, so... You know, he he flipped it this time around, but often the time, you know, Ward Two and Ward Four, they they actually go to Republicans. Mm. Mm. Huh? What does that tell you about our system? Huh? It's an interesting system yeah. for sure. That is, it's in line for its own podcast one of these days as well. Uh, I only did one cartoon really about Ed Ackerley. Yeah, I and I spelled his name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I got a nice note from, I got to open my email. The subject line is, hi. And then the note says, spelling of Ackerley, L-E-Y, sign Dr. Ed. 
Sorry, dude. Oh man, that's really my fault. I I'm supposed to catch these sort of things in your yeah yeah. Uh, well, the ghost of Walter Cronkite thumped me in my sleep. So, Doctor Ackerley was a fan of your artwork, though he had decided yeah. to take it a little bit further. He did, and he? he rented himself a nice old steamroller just to uh, use as a prop for a, a press conference. I was there for it, and so <laughs> yeah. you got a shout out, my friend. So he didn't harbor any grudges. I was glad for it, and uh, I saw uh, Congressman Grijalva and Marilek Romero mm -hmm. last Friday, and mm -hmm. they didn't bear any grudges either. Sneers. Sneers. Mock huh? sneers. <laughs> so we just eyed each other. Hey, four more years of you. So oh, I've got news for you guys. It's not four. Oh, oh really? Well, why don't we go ahead and reveal it here for listeners? What is that news, Joe? Eight. No, it looks like it's going to be five. Oh, because so, the... All right, keep going. Yeah, so uh, the we did not get 75% of the total numbers that we got for 2018 uh, voting. So the state legislature has their thumb on the city of Tucson and will push them to move back their elections to an even number year. Oh! So then now there could be a better voter turnout just because usually those even number years you're going to have a presidential election or some sort of federal election right well that could be the case but you know there's such a thing as the ender vote where you just can't manage to get to the bottom of that ballot uh, so uh, you know, those down ballot i got gotcha. you uh. and honestly you know you know if you have a 2022 election you've got brand new congressional districts you're voting for governor you're voting for God only knows how many different races. It's going to be quite something to decide who's who on what issues. So it really would be a down ballot kind of thing. But, you know, it'd be Mayor Rahina in 2024. Wow. Wow. What a revelation. I'll start making the appointments for the candidates now, boss. And that's crazy. So in There is a legal fight that will happen, but generally speaking, the law is pretty clear. All right. Huh. Well, five years then. I'm just boggled thinking selfishly about the amount of labor for those of us here in the media. <laughs> when you have those many, uh, that many candidates, those many issues, who knows how many propositions. Wow. Fitz, I'm already writing about the 2020 campaign for in tomorrow's political notebook. So it's already started, <laughs> buddy. So, oh, what a man. perfect segue Joe's into my second topic which is the 2020 local elections no way and it's never obviously Psychic. as joe just alluded to it is never too early to get ready for this it is our super bowl coming up as journalists wow presidential election year that's right because this is 2019 and you're talking 2020 that's next year a month and a half away <sighs> gentlemen there are 19 candidates running for Congress in Southern Arizona between three seats. <laughs> and we're not done. <laughs> so why don't we, in, in the interest of limiting, uh, you know, we only have so much time here, why don't we kind of figure out wh which is going to be the most competitive of those three races, I think in it, your opinion? I, I think that CD2 has always shown to be the most competitive among the three. Mm -hmm. It's built to be a competitive district just by the boundaries and who is where on it. It's it's a it's a very competitive race. Republicans, Democrats, both can can win it. Uh, incumbent uh, 
Uh, Ann Kirkpatrick is, is certainly running for another term, but she has two Democratic challengers, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And I think there are six different Republicans who are vying to uh, gather attention. One right now is giving away a semi-automatic rifle along very with nice. a couple other things if you just sign up for his newsletter. So it's mm. going to be a very long race. I think it's going to be a very high pu high publicized race as Republicans really make a push to focus on competitive districts to take back the House. Mm, high caliber race. Yeah, and though if I remember right, this uh, that district, Congressional District 2, is pretty fairly split between registered Democrats, Republicans, and Independents, right? Correct. It's pretty much a third each. Yeah. That should be interesting. Yeah, and you got all them there rancher people yes. down in that valley of Sonoida area. Right? Well, oh, we also got all those Republicans who live on the east side of Tucson that voted yeah. for Ed Ackerley. It's not just Cochise County you got to think about. So we actually had uh, Congresswoman Kirkpatrick in here last week. Uh, if you want to listen to our special edition of the Point Being podcast, that's also available on Tucson.com. Uh, we asked her a little bit about this upcoming uh, election, uh, number one, about uh, how Republicans had been fundraising. Uh, there was an email that basically said, like, we need to target uh, Miss Kirkpatrick so that we can get ammunition to take her out. Um, that was uh, obviously not something you want to do in the district where Gabby Giffords was shot in a mass shooting here. Yeah. Um, what do you think the approach is going to be for for Republicans in this district? They obviously can't go too far right. Um, there's... Well, the guy that, that did that particular stunt um, is the guy that's giving away the uh, semi-automatic rifle. So it's certainly no whole bars in terms of how you want to campaign. He is running to the right. He's backing Trump. He's calling Ann Kirkpatrick, you know, essentially a gun grabber where— you know, I can remember back in my Flagstaff days where Ann Kirkpatrick would campaign, you know, talking about her A-plus record with the NRA. Right. So it's it's a complicated thing, but we're certainly going to see a large clash in terms of politics, in terms of Republicans being hypercritical of Kirkpatrick and her support for almost anything from abortion to gun control to, of course, impeachment. In the, I'm curious about the. You're probably already looking at the primaries themselves as well. Do you have any sense of how the primary will shake out among the Republicans? Uh, it's just too early to tell. There's a lobbyist by the name of Shay Stouts, who used to represent the University of Arizona, and who has a guest opinion in today's Daily Star. So oh. he's a he's a newcomer to the race. Um, some of the other people have been running either for a while or ran back in 2018. So it'll be interesting to see how his message resonates here in Pima County as well as in Cochise County. So uh, right now I think that uh, Brandon Martin, who came in second last time around to Leah Marquez-Peterson, probably has some name recognition and has the ability to raise money compared to some of the other candidates. Now you yeah. said that uh, right now Ms. Kirkpatrick has two challengers uh, potentially in the Democratic Party. Are they going to be coming from her left, or are they more centrist than she is? One's a self-described activist, so I assume that's a, a left, um, but it's it's hard to tell right now. We really haven't heard a lot of platform ideas or arguments there. And so, you know, I've known Anne for 15 years, and so her political leanings have changed over time. So I, I remember, you know, when she lost up in Flagstaff to Gosar, you know, she 
it had you know a kind of a moderate kind of blue blue dem kind of message and we'll see right now kind of where she goes in 2020 i think huh. the other accusation against her that's kind of followed her wherever she's gone is that she's kind of a carpetbagger um was that the same case uh, up there in Flagstaff? I know out no, here. No, I mean in Flagstaff, her roots were pretty well established. You know, I I know her ex-husband. She had a law office in Flagstaff in downtown. I, I remember interviewing her in her old law offices. I mean, she has strong roots in Flagstaff. It's just after she um, lost her congressional seat, she got married. Her husband lives in Phoenix, so you know, it's it's kind of a an argument about. Um, carpet bagging that was important in 2018, but she's represented Tucson for two years now, almost, and so it's a little, it's a bit different now. Gotcha. That's going to be such an interesting race in the uh, <laughs> with Trump as the backdrop to all of it. Totally, I think that that's like a kind of microcosm of America, that little uh, congressional district. Do, do you suspect he'll visit Arizona on behalf of McSally? Uh... Well, I think that McSally and others are absolutely vying for that right now. We've already had Mike Pence come out, so I think it's inevitable that we're going to see uh, Mr. Trump in Arizona. Whether he comes down below the Gila is another question entirely. I was just going to say yeah. because I think that the big, or at least kind of the knock against McSally's candidacy against Cinema uh, in 2018 was that she, she ran too close to the president. And that in the and that hurt her uh, with suburban voters, particularly suburban women, uh, up in the East Valley of, yes. of Phoenix. So, I guess my question would be: Does do you think that McSally would really want to run that kind of campaign where she's tied to the president again? She is. We can just see it in terms of impeachment and what she said about that recently. So, I I think that she has you know, hitched her wagon to the Trump administration for better or for worse. Um, and I don't see any signs of that really changing in, in terms of that. Um, her her uh, press spokesperson just recently left her office to go work for Mike Pence. I, I think that, you know, there, there are some very strong ties there, and I think that she's always been proud of the president's support. I don't see that changing, but... Impeachment is a nasty little kind of trick, and we'll see if people defect, you know, depending on where this goes. Hmm. What do you think, David? <laughs> I'm a cartoonist. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just so happy about the present moment. You know, we're talking about McSally. All I can think of is uh, how challenging it is to draw um, <laughs> Mr. Giffords. I'll call him Mr. Giffords. Uh, Mark Kelly on his space <laughs> shuttle versus the little warthog. <laughs> it's going to be difficult in terms of scaling in the cartoon, but that'll be a happy image to use. I think the only time that she did really varied with the president, didn't she uh, take a contrary position on you know on Syria and with the Kurds? And she so did everybody for 15 minutes, yeah. didn't they? Well, there's been a couple different things. She's also made some comments uh, when that tape came out that were mm. somewhat critical of the president, if I recall correctly. So she's done some criticism of the president, but, you know, generally speaking, in terms of Southern Arizona, I think that the loud chorus of our readers tell us that it's, you know, just too close to the president in a lot uh -huh. of ways. But 
We'll see. I've seen Republicans who say that she's not supportive of the president enough. I have, too. That's why I'm, huh. I'm interested to see where this goes with her. Will uh, Will she and Kelly debate? Oh, certainly. There will be no way that the voters of Arizona will all allow them to just have a proxy war over TV and through mailers. They'll absolutely have to debate. And, you know, it's this political reporter's hope that there are a lot of debates. Yeah. Woo. That'll be a good time. Yeah. All right. So another thing that was kind of happening in the news this week uh, had to do with the Northwestern Student Newspaper. And if you're not familiar with it, basically what happened was Mike Pence, or excuse me, not Mike Pence, Jeff Sessions came to speak at Northwestern about a week and a half ago. Hmm. There was a protest of students that the paper covered. Uh, and those protesters had a problem with that. Um, the editorial that we are going to be talking about in question basically uh, recanted uh, some of the reporting that the newspaper did, said that they were wrong to reach out to student protesters by uh, by phone, by text. They said that was a that they were sorry for violating their privacy, and then they took down some, some photos uh, of some of the protesters at the event because uh, ostensibly they were felt threatened by their photos being online. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a cluster of public, issues. Public, public sort of uh, event, public protest. Right. Um, now, I'm, I've always assumed that if I'm going to, which I haven't done since being an employee, but if I'm going to protest publicly... Hey, too bad, dude. You're yeah. in public. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the rules. That's kind of how uh, it works, well, right? But we've but there are other rules in place too. We've seen people who ah, wear, the voice of reason. We've seen people who wear masks. Yeah. We've seen people who wear bandanas and you know the the uh, November of November masks. You know the guy, Fox. Uh, uh, yeah, Guy Masks. Fox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, so those are there are people out there that are, have that concern, and I think that's a tacit acknowledgement that they understand that they are in public, exactly. that they are in a place where there are reporters, and you know, especially for my photographer brethren, it's hard to sneak up on somebody with a camera nowadays. So those things are not just you know something that's uh, tiny. When you point one of those things, you know it's being pointed at you. More concerning for me, even than the kind of retractions and the, the reaction of the uh, the staff, the editorial staff there at the, the paper, was just kind of the expectation that people have now that, oh, if I complain or if I reach out and say that I'm, I'm offended that you used my image or something that I said, that somehow that, that garners, oh, well, we're, we'll, we'll take that down. That's not how I have and I, I envision journalism working. That's not how, even if I was not in this field, envi would envision a story involving me having to to go about. Perhaps in the real world, my question is though: Did this did this take place at a, a learning institution? It did. And was that part of the uh, reasoning by the administration that these are these are uh, fetal journalists or these are uh, these are uh, infants we're dealing with that need require uh, special coddling that. Eddie and I talked a little bit about that um, a couple days ago um, I, listeners might not know this just by my voice but uh, I got a late start in journalism in, in a lot of respects and so I absolutely was a father and, you know, a full-fledged adult when I graduated college. And I think that to just write off 
student journalists as being somehow less than adults is at, it's just kind of demeaning yeah. right, right, right out the gate. Exactly. And um, just to kind of echo your point, Joe, I, you know, I just came into this job six months ago right from the Daily Wildcat, so right from student media. And I think the big takeaway I take from this is while the – while I, I think it's admirable on some level that the uh, students uh, said that they were trying to be a little bit more empathetic to communities that are not hmm. as well served – uh, this is not this is not at all how you serve underserved communities. Um, you go about by telling the truth. I think the most glaring line to me in this editorial was that while we uh, something along the lines of while we know that our jobs as journalists is you know to go out there and tell about what's going on, we still make sure that we have uh, a good relationship basically with communities that have been marginalized. And while those are two very beautiful sentiments, I think that the most important is to the truth. The biggest, you know, our our our, our biggest job are are the people that we answer to are not necessarily people that are in activism, you know, that are in uh, positions of of power or positions of activists. We answer to history, exactly, um, and. In retracting this, these these folks they've they've done more damage to journalism. Than and it also have. suggests, in a metaphysical, cosmological way, that hey, they weren't there. Oh. That event did that event happen? <laughs> I don't did. know. I just want to throw back just for a moment to take. I want to say that I really appreciate the fact that you know the reporters there went above and beyond. Definitely, it is super easy just to get a quote and to walk away, but these people took the time after the event was over and used the resources they had to find students, to contact them, to text message them, to get more of the story, to get more than just a quip or that, to ask why they were there, to ask what they were, what, what their concerns were. I mean, they went further. They dug deeper than a lot of people do when we talk about these kind of campaign stops. And mm -hmm. so... You know, I think that what the Northwestern staff did in terms of the reporters was was really good journalism. I agree. I, I agree. I just think that the editorial kind of walking it all back kind of does it a disservice. I agree. Well, that's calls to mind another issue. Maybe for next year's pod, podcast, I'm sure you've uh, heard or read stories about various uh, uh, newspapers uh, doing an online review and uh, – uh, Subtracting or or taking back stories that uh, they believe might be harmful to the individual in the story. You know, when an individual wants to disappear from the internet, perhaps uh, the story had an error in it, or yeah, that is an interesting the that, right to be forgotten. The right to be forgotten. Yeah. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank yeah. you so much for joining me here this week. We didn't forget you. We did not. Yeah. Although you might have a right to be forgotten. We didn't oh, forget you, I see what you were getting. I was like, what are you getting at here? Uh, <laughs> you got me. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening in to the Point Being podcast. My name is Edward Salaya. I guess I should let you know that the views and uh, kind of expressions here do not ex not necessarily uh, reflect the uh, – in the. I can, how does it go again? The views of? The views don't necessarily reflect uh, those of Lee Enterprises. Or the That's Daily right. Star. Or the Daily Star. 
or it's just us. The Daily Star and Lee Enterprises. And Lee Enterprises. All right. I'll get that in post. But anyways, thank you so much for listening in to us. This has been Edward Salaya. Thank you so, so very much. Adios. Vaya con Dios.